I don't believe in evolution, I know that you do, mm -hmm. but they explain it that this is an adaptation because if you can start uh, fertilizing a female as soon as she becomes, as soon as she's showing signs of an imminent um, fertility, the period, menarche, then that will maximize because you secured the female right at the beginning, the start of when she will potentially. But you can still have sex before you be start maximizing fertility, right? When the body is physically okay. mature, according to Islamic law. Do you know law. what precocious puberty is? Yes, I do. Okay, what is it? It means going, starting puberty uh, unusually early, like can beyond have, averages. Is there anything in Islam that prevents you from, in a man, marrying a five-year-old that started precocious puberty? No, marriage can happen, uh, like you can arrange a marriage even as an infant, but that doesn't mean that sex is allowed. But could, could, a, uh, could a man have a marriage to a five-year-old consummated if she started precocious puberty? If she starts showing signs of physical maturity, then yes, that's permissible, as I stated. That's what about the principle. age four? If there are signs Three. of... So this is something that becomes biologically impossible because precocious puberty, I have a study there are shows no... It goes as early as 11 months. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and in lieu of my regular guest, the last time he was on the show, he said I had upgraded to uh, my co-host, and uh, here he is, inspiring philosophy, Michael Jones. Do you stand by those comments about upgrading my co-host? Of course. I thought you would. And today, we're going to talk about child marriage. Now, I don't know if this is a new thing that IP is is going into uh, debating all the people that, that believe in child marriage like he did debate all of the people who who said that each holiday was pagan. This Is this a new fixation where we're going to get a lot more videos on child marriage or is this kind of a one-off for you? You might if they if all the Muslims uh, that have been defending this dig their heels in and keep insisting, no, it's okay for us to rape children. I mean, like this is a very serious issue that needs to be addressed and exposed and pointed out to the world. And uh, that's kind of why I did this debate. I wanted people to see the, how evil this was because I had all the data ready to go. And I knew I could expose the horrendous evils of child marriage in this debate. And I think I was pretty successful in that. And I've got a lot of really, po really great positive feedback from Christians, atheists, and many Muslims that that's exactly what I did. Well, my co-host, Dr. Pritchett, when I went to him, I said, have you heard this IP debate? And he was like, no, but I heard it was incredible. So that's been the general <laughs> tone of this. But you're right. There's a statement in this debate that is probably the most shocking statement that I've ever heard made in a debate, especially one that purports to be some kind of an academic debate um, and and one of, and one of the most evil positions. And so let's just jump right into it. And so IP, is there anything else you want to say before we go into this? No, I mean, I've got a lot of requests to review and talk about this debate, uh, this debate, and I'm happy to because I want to keep exposing this. And I expect we'll see some uh, damage control, the circling of the wagons from Daniel and his uh, Muslim acolytes. And I want to make sure there's enough data out there to combat this because I've already seen him say some stuff on Twitter that's just very easy to address and debunk. And it just, I hope we just keep doing this so people are fully aware that child marriage is a horrendous evil and it should be abolished worldwide. You know, there's a statement that is going to apply to a lot of the people who view this. And that is with some things like you did argue against him, right? But with some things, I don't, it's not so much that I have to argue as I have to make it clear what you just said. And if yeah. we can make, make clear what a, a person, a particular Muslim who holds these kind of collection of, of ideas, uh, if we can say, look, this is what they believe. Listen to them tell you what they believe. I mean, for a lot of people, that's going to be enough. But you did present 
arguments. And I want to say at the beginning of this IP that I heard you say this in another review with David Wood and Apostate Prophet that people should watch. And I'll link that in this in this video as well. Um, but but I want uh, people to know that that even though this is an academic sort of debate and you are somewhat professional in how you present yourself and we need to be aware of that, there's a way you debate as a gentleman. But nonetheless, you mentioned that you were growing very irritated, if not angry, listening to some of the comments that were made. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. The stuff coming out of Daniel's mouth was blatantly evil, uh, blatantly horrendous, saying things like, yeah, it's okay to marry and have sex with a girl that's three or four if she goes through precocious puberty. Uh, he was saying that if two, towards the end of the debate, he was saying that if two 10-year-olds were caught having sex, that maybe they should be thrown in prison. And it's <laughs> like, this is like, again, as I said it in my closing, Daniel constantly criticizes modern secularism. It's, he calls it a dystopia. And in many ways, you and I would agree with him. There's a lot of things in modern secularism we think is a dystopia with, you know, tr uh, drag queen story hour, transgender mm -hmm. surgeries for minors. These are things we reject. But Daniel's solution is to replace the modern dystopia with an Islamic dystopia that's like The Handmaid's Tale. It would be worse, if not even more worse. So... Yeah, this this is not something, this is not somebody or some ideology Christians want to unite on. We want to attack this nonsense and expose it for the evil it is. We, as I was telling Pints with Aquinas, uh, Matt Frad, Christians, we need to hold the middle. We cannot go to the extreme traditionalist Islamic side, or we cannot go to the extreme left side. We need to hold the middle. And we can't side with either. We need to stand on what is true, what is right, what is going to be best for humanity. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, jump into this. I guess I'll just start playing this here and uh, and we'll go. But folks, I, on the heels of what IP just said, I, I, you know, for as far as our channel goes, listen, if somebody is arguing to sexualize children, like especially children, in, especially in this way, treat them as sexual objects and their consent, something about that, you know, treating people that can't possibly give consent as though they can give consent. Um, Stay away from that mess. It's it's pretty easy to see where abject evil ideas are and just run from them when it's when it's something to do with sexualizing kids. Let's go ahead and start playing and, and we'll get some comments. Again, I need to see like what those studies are because there is such a huge bias with the UN and lib global liberalism that is imposing this kind of You heard it here first, folks. It's a conspiracy. Oh yeah, because liberal powers have never conspired to impose their values on the rest of the world. Gentlemen, it's okay, a true treat to have you. you we'll let you get the ball okay, so, so this was, opening. So, so I didn't, apparently I'm, I'm playing the upcoming, but I'll skip to the debate now, but what are your comments? Well, I mean, we can skip my opening statement and go to his, but I did want to address that. So this okay. is yeah, this is something Daniel does constantly in his debates. If you go watch his, to best, his uh, debate with Destiny on if Andrew Tate is guilty or not, Destiny wiped the floor with him, of course. But this is all he did. He just said, well, there's all these Western conspiracies that have happened out there. And so this is all also obviously a conspiracy against Andrew Tate. That is such ridiculous reasoning because it, it's an association fallacy to begin, just because Western powers have done horrible things around the world. That doesn't mean everything they do is horrible. That doesn't mean anytime the West comes out against something, uh, that it is also bad. This is, this is an association fallacy. It's a hasty generalization, and it doesn't at all overcome the medical research I cited. Even if the West is conspiring to end child marriage because they're so, they're, they just want to prevent Islam from rising, uh, that itself would not mean child marriage is good. Two things can be true. 
Okay, it would be poisoning the well to say that, well, or a genetic fallacy, depending on how they word it, that because the West is promoting this and they've done other bad things, that therefore what they're doing now is bad. They could be getting this right and the medical research overwhelmingly supports that that's what's going on. Uh, he argued later in the debate that the reason they started trying to end child marriage was because of industrialism and feminism. Well, I mean, even if that is true, that doesn't mean that feminists were wrong on this. It They, they very well could be right about you just can't do this type of poisoning the well or genetic fallacy type thing where you say well because it came from feminists therefore it must be bad no that that's just fallacious they very well could be right and once again the medical ex the medical research overwhelmingly supports that all right should we keep trucking yeah people break the law i strongly advise everyone to follow your local laws Many are appalled that we're even having this debate, and those people probably have a hard time imagining how anyone could ever think that marriage to a minor is acceptable. But the reality is all people historically considered minor marriage perfectly normal. If you give me a chance, I'll explain why. The first step is to acknowledge some basic- Almost every, uh, you know, throughout history, slavery was widely accepted, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, this is stupid. <laughs> this is a stupid argument. For once, he's wrong. A lot of people in the past were uh, arguing against marrying too young. I cited them in my opening statements. Seronis of Ephesus, Gals of Rome, uh, John Trivas, uh, uh, who translated Gals of Rome. I think I'm mispronouncing his last name, but also Albertus Magnus. These were medical writers of the past who were saying, we, you know, it's dangerous for girls to be having children so young. We should increase. And Gals of Rome said girls should not have children before 18 and that was long before the rise of modern secularism i mean like so sorry daniel no this is this is a fallacious argument because just because people in the past thought it was okay that doesn't make it okay and once again we do see evidence as i gave in my opening statement of plenty of evidence of people suggesting uh actually girls should probably marry and start having children in late teens early 20s this was the average age in the roman empire uh jews in palestine throughout the middle ages so he's just wrong on this he's trying to say that child marriage was like perfectly normal and it actually seems to have been like an outlier issue from what i can find but what if we did find some cultural are you saying there isn't a cultural reason that if we found a culture let's say in the ancient mediterranean world where it was common uh, or we have particular cases, perhaps in a religious text where it is someone who seems to be 13, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would the response to something like that be that this is OK? You have a case like this or I think I heard you say, like, if you if you found something like that in the Bible, it doesn't mean everything that, that happens in the Bible is necessarily endorsed in the Bible. Yeah, and we'll get to the Bible later and we'll talk about Ezekiel okay. 16 because he's already misrepresenting that on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I fully acknowledge in my opening statement that we do see evidence of child marriage in the past, but we also see a, evidence of high infant mortality rates in the past, much higher than today. And if we go with the current science shows us, that makes sense because there was so much, there was child marriage and there was much higher infant mortality rates. You know, the science shows us there's higher infant mortality rates when you're having children 15, 14, 13. But what my point is saying is like, even though that did happen in the past, there still were a lot of people that were actually arguing like medical experts that maybe the age that girls are having children should be older because we see problems arising when they're happening, when they're having children too young. The way Daniel represents the past is if, you know, girls were being married off left and right at 12 and 13, and that's just nonsense. Yes, it did happen. 
Uh, but so was slavery. Uh, so, so was their rampant witchcraft, idol worship, human sacrifice, okay? For generations upon generations. Later in the debate, I, I pointed out his own researcher, Bruce Ryan, that he's relying on, pointed out that uh, man-boy homosexual interaction was common for generations in multiple cultures. Yet he thinks that's evil. So why are you saying that, well, because people in the past had child marriage, uh, therefore it's normal and not that bad, when you could, the same thing could be said about man-boy associations, when that was normal in numerous cultures, including many Islamic societies. Okay, obviously he thinks that should be wrong, even though it was common. Why does he think child marriage should be wrong, even though that was common at times? Yeah, it's something to do with these uh, types of arguments. And from whence did this argument come? You know, he, 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 can, he criticizes you at one point for, well, no one would have bring, brought an argument like this, you know, uh, years in the hundreds of years in the past or something. And then it's like, well, OK, it, so I'm hearing as a debater on the one hand, well, these are the same old arguments we've always heard. And then on the other hand, I'm hearing now, well, you know, no one would have ever brought this argument. Which which way do we want it here? You know, the, the truth. Should we just can mm -hmm. we just care about the truth and maybe get the argument that gets us to the truth? But let's keep trucking and see what happens. Thick biological facts. Puberty doesn't happen overnight or at one specific age. Rather, puberty is an extended process lasting from two to five years. The start of puberty also varies. It usually begins between eight to 13 in girls or nine to 15 in boys. Many factors affect puberty. By the way, real quick, Michael, I, I, since you've been studying this recently and maybe your research wasn't in a realm that would cover something like this, but is it true? I have heard uh, in the past that, that that can culturally change based on diet and chemicals that are in uh, your foods and stuff. Do you know anything about that? Well, yeah, I, I had two studies ready to go in case I needed them. I didn't have to get time to get to them, though. But uh, there's a study called Evolution, Development, and the Timing of Puberty from 2006 and Evo Devo of Human Adolescence. Beyond disease models of early puberty. What they both point out is in the medieval period, uh, during the agricultural settlement period, the age of monarchy was being delayed. And so the average age girls were actually getting their first period was 16.5. So actually, in current times, the current uh, ages that girls are getting their first period uh, is actually returning to Paleolithic time periods due to better nutrition. But during this agricultural settlement period, when there was a lot less meat, people were relying more on grains uh for nutrients uh the age of monarchy was actually being delayed until much later so uh during the medieval period we have it's very unlikely that any girl would have been ready to start having children until it, roughly around 16 and a half so using modern estimates is not necessarily the but best but we still saw to... did, do, but we would expect we would have still had syndromes or, or diseases or whatever it is or you know experiences like precocious period where uh, even regardless of whatever the standard age seems to be, this is something that does affect very young girls. Yeah, right? precocious puberty has been uh, would have happened throughout history and typically it's caused by it can be caused by tumors, genetic issues. Uh, but I mean, I have a study that says a tumor caused precocious puberty in a girl as early as 11 months. And so without me current medical technology, that would have just happened in, in the ancient world without without, any without anything to prevent it. And so, you know, gotcha. you take that into consideration. All right, let's keep trucking. Race and environment, for example, black girls reach puberty a year earlier than white girls. Puberty also accelerates in stressful environments like food shortages or absent fathers. But even in normal environments, 1% of girls have their periods by age 8 and 4% have them by age 9. This means that they have completed puberty by ages 8 <laughs> or 9. Overall, children... No. Complete 
No, you don't, you don't complete puberty when you get your first period. Okay. Uh, again, I, in my opening statement, I cited the CDC, which says most girls complete puberty by about 15 to 17. You don't complete puberty when you get your first period. Let me just read. Uh, so part of puberty is breast development. So I have a book here, Epidemiology. Uh, so page 287, the book is Epidemiology of Chronic Disease, Global Perspectives from 2019. They say mature breast development is typically complete by the age of 17 to 18. Okay, again, confirming again what we see with the CDC, you don't complete puberty until roughly about 17 in the modern era. And this would have been delayed in past periods, you know, when Muhammad was running around with his child bride. So we got to keep that into consideration. Uh, no, it's absolutely wrong to think you complete puberty when you get your first period. I can't find one medical, what I really, what medical textbook says that? Yeah, well, he raised this and said something like after, I don't know if it was him or some other resource I was looking at from Muslims, but it was like you, you're, the period comes toward the end of your uh, puberty uh, experience. And then after that, all that really happens is some fat stores and things like that. But you're saying, no, 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 uh, it, it, it goes, it, there's a lot more to be done after that. Yes, because you still have the hips are still widening. Uh, your body is still developing into a woman. Breast development is not complete, as I pointed out. What do you just think about hips widening? Uh, that, that alone is important to birthing a child. You'd think that any normal human being would say that no girl should have a child until her hips have finished widening. I think that would be the safest bet to take. And yet Daniel wants to say, no, no, we can start using girls for childbirth and sex before their hips have even started finished widening. This is disgusting and it's horrible. You're going to lead to death, obstetric fistulas, uh, birth defects, low birth weight in children, as all the research I cited in my opening statement points out. Yeah. Puberty in the eight to 15 age range and start experiencing sexual desires. Now here's the million dollar question. How do children deal with those desires? I want all the opponents of child marriage to give us a practical solution for all the sexually frustrated minors out there. Because those hormones hit like a tsunami, creating desires that need an outlet. The outlet promoted in society today is an absolute disaster. Kids are taught sex ed as early as nine, and some experts want sex ed in kindergarten. You've, you're barely done with primary school and your teachers are passing out condoms and telling you to get birth control. Between 40 to 55% of high schoolers have had full sexual intercourse. If you include oral sex, the percentages are a lot higher. Many children as young as nine or 10 engage in- Michael, is he presenting this like, look, this is what you guys do. Or is he saying, because yeah. like all of Western culture is on the back of Michael Jones. Is that what we're saying here? Daniel Hakikachu always talks about, all he, Daniel Hakikachu always argues in false dichotomies. You either accept Islam and all of the things we promote, or you're basically accepting everything in modern, secular, liberal Western societies. It can't, it can't be anything else. If you don't go along with his solutions, you're basically siding with everything that modern secularists side. And you and I both don't, obviously. We have a right. third option. The problem with the main problem with what he's saying here is he's saying, you know, young people have sexual desires, therefore they need an outlet. Well, they need to be married off right away. You know, I, 
Okay, well, well, hold so, on, hold on. Before before you make whatever great point you're going to make, I, there's a lot of baggage sitting on that word "need" right there. What, are, what what do you mean when you say they need it? Obviously, young people experience sexual desire. Yes, I think that's part of the design. That's true. But what happens if they if they don't uh, get some sort of sexual fulfillment with a sex partner? Are they going to die? No. Are they going to starve to death or run out of water? No. Um, what what is what what do we mean exactly by need? Here is an important thing. But go ahead. Yeah, well, here's the problem with what he's doing. We know that your brain is developing till about the age of 25, but it's not developing in isolation. It's developing along with decisions you make. This is why researchers today talk about the plasticity of the brain. Actions you do, things you're exposed to, modify brain development. Okay, this is very important. You can read books like Jeffrey Schwartz's book, The Mind and the Brain, for more on this. It's also very, very, very consistent with Christianity, biblical New Testament Christianity, but go ahead. Exactly. So I've seen some research that says the temporal lobes are developed uh, somewhere between 9 and 16. There's different studies on that, but your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until 25. Now, the temporal lobes is where a lot of uh, networking happens that controls sexual behavior. The prefrontal cortex is where your impulses are developing. So Imagine if we had a kid who was filled with rage and anytime he got rage and wanted to hurt someone, we let him go out and beat up an animal. Do you think his, as his prefrontal cortex is developing, he's going to learn to control those impulses that are giving him rage? No, uh, he's going to be taught and the plasticity of his brain is going to develop in a way that where every time he's got rage, he's got to take it out by hurting something. Okay. That needs to be taken into consideration. Now, when kids start developing sexual impulses while their temporal lobes are developing, while the prefrontal cortex is developing, the worst thing we can do to them is say, oh, okay, we'll get married and have sex because you're having sexual desires. You need to give into those immediately. Anytime you have a sexual desire, you need to give into it and just act on it. That is gonna lead to all sorts of problems down the road. What happens when they're 20, 25, and maybe they're tempted by adultery? Maybe they're tempted to divorce and uh, go with someone younger and more uh, more uh, prettier than their current wife. Uh, well, what's going to happen to the woman that they've married and already built a life with? Well, she's going to get left cold in the dust. And that's going to break down families. That's going to be horrible. I think God, in a way, is doing something good here. He's allowing sexual desires to come out early and teaching us uh through biblical ethics, that you need to learn to control your impulses. As That's Paul beautiful. says, take every thought captive. You know, you don't want to just give in to desires as soon as you have them. You should learn to control them as you grow and develop into a person. And those that accomplish this uh, end up living far better and more meaningful lives. And that's what we should be encouraging in the long run. Is everyone going to be successful? No, but that's what we should still be encouraging. The worst thing we can do is start teaching young men and young women, the moment you have sexual impulses, act on them. As your prefrontal cortex is developing, you're not going to learn how to sufficiently control your sexual impulses. Instead, you're going to feel that you should act on them the moment you have them. And that's going to lead to more divorce, more fornication, exactly what Daniel was trying to argue against. Yeah, I mean, uh, does he think, I wouldn't, uh, does Daniel, would you, and I hate to ask, he's not here to answer, but it seems like the impression that's given from what he's saying here is that Daniel doesn't think that people can control themselves until they reach uh, adult legal maturity and, and real maturity and all that at 18 to, let's say, somewhere in your 20s, get married. Uh, he doesn't think that we can. And and I understand why. I mean, anyone who's experienced 
human sexuality is a powerful thing. We get that. But I, I didn't have sexual intercourse with anyone until I, until I married my wife. And guess what? I have a friend who never kissed another woman until he kissed his wife. Uh, and, and they have a beautiful marriage. But primary, yeah, pr- and- pr- principally, I want to know, does he think it's just not feasible for young people to live an Allah glorifying life sexually until marriage at a later date? Based on what he was telling me, I don't think he does. Now, he I could be wrong on that, but that's the impression I'm getting, and that's why he's pushing child marriage so much. We need to marry these poor children off, put them in relationships they're not fully developed to understand yet, and, and you know allow them to start having sex because that's the only way to deal with this issue. It's, it's nonsense. And he never – I was going to give a solution in the cross-examination, but he kept interrupting me because he didn't want to hear it. Uh, he just wanted me to be wrong. But the problem what he doesn't realize is that modern secular liberal culture has just put sex everywhere. So as the brain is developing these young people, they're seeing sexual images in music videos, in movies, in pop culture, everywhere. So of course they're more sexual than past generations. We're forcing them to be with the culture we've built. What To curb this rampant uh, premarital sex issue, this sexualized culture, is to change the culture. It's not to just... To try to channel it, to keep it as it is and channel it into child marriage. It's to change the way kids are developing now so they're not always thinking about sex. You do that with an increased religiosity. You do that with with better parenting skills where you have actually have parents that stay together and raise children. More education. Education allows people to make better decisions about sex. Uh, you do that with more a- extracurricular activities uh, where kids can focus their energies in and they're not always thinking about sex. But the problem is the culture has sort of just fostered this. So again, we can agree with Daniel that the current secular culture is horrible and needs to change. But the answer is not to just pretend this is the way humans are. Uh, we can go. Well, that's one of the funnier moments in the debate. This is where the funny one of the funnier moments early in the debate was. You were like, "Yes, both are immoral, Daniel." It's <laughs> really funny. Somehow that tickled me yeah. when you used his first name. They're both immoral, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's true. We don't have to pick child marriage or rampant fornication. We can teach neither. Exactly. And he doesn't seem to get that. It's always these false dichotomies. Yeah. All right. Let's keep trucking. Sexual behaviors. Experts say we have an epidemic of sexting, for example, among minors with 25% of teens texting each other naked pictures of themselves. Educators have responded by teaching children to practice safe sexting. Send naked pictures of yourself to other kids safely. Also included in sex. Yeah, I think that's absurd and it doesn't exist. You can't safely send naked pictures of yourself. Ed is pornography education because the average age a child sees hardcore porn is 10. It's just become an accepted fact that children watch porn. So let's just teach them how to do it safely. The shocking news recently is that they've started to teach kindergartners how to masturbate. Meanwhile, there's an epidemic of porn addiction that's destroyed. Well, hold on a second. Since we know what's coming and the audience now knows what's coming. Wait a minute, Daniel. Are you saying that if uh, if a if a female child is exhibiting uh, the the beginnings of puberty or it looks like she's in puberty, there's some external then then even as early as five or maybe even four. Uh, then this would be, and yet here we're getting a balking at the notion of sexualizing kindergartners. I, I think that this kind of blows up in his face. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny that he's constantly criticizing liberal Western society 
Uh, and then you see some of the things he wants to promote in Islam. Like we see people on the far extreme left promoting maps, minor attracted persons. They're promoting child marriage. We see people on the left promoting, you know, uh, polyamorous relationships. Muslims are promoting polygyny, polygamy, these kinds of things. It's like, you guys are sort of like going to go so far away from each other. You're going to come back around and meet in the middle on the extreme. It's ridiculous. Like, look, if anybody's trying to do weird sex stuff with kids, Stay away from that. That's basically what we're saying, right? All right, let's keep trucking. Yeah. The mental health and well-being of generations of youth. These are today's socially acceptable outlets for childhood sexuality. Hopefully all Muslims and Christians here agree that fornication, masturbation, and pornography are not acceptable solutions. Rather, these practices destroy the moral fabric of society and corrupt the soul. But the problem actually goes much deeper. Sadly, much of the sexual activity for minors involves sexual abuse. According to the data, 28% of American children ages 14 to 17 have suffered sexual abuse. Some of this happens in- what, what would be an A word for marrying a little girl who can't consent and then having sex with her? Would the word abuse to have an A word? Churches, but the majority happens in public schools. According to reports, the sexual abuse of students in schools is more than 100 times the abuse in churches. Researchers conclude that by 11th grade, 10% of children have been sexually abused in school. That means that in America alone, 4.5 million children are victims. And none of this includes other forms of sexualizing children like drag queen story hour, the rise of pornographic educational material in school libraries, the sexualization of children's clothes, beauty pageants, and on and on. The point is childhood sexual desire from, from puberty is an unstoppable biological force. How does one channel those desires is the question, and Western society channels it through fornication, masturbation, and porn. In the best case, and in the worst case, the sexualization and fetishization of children as young as four. But Third option, Jesus's way. Can we do it the New Testament way? Can we just like think of, like you said, can we not just think of fornication as, as also evil and sinful and stay away from that and not bring the solution of marrying children as a solution? I I understand the passion that makes you just want to pause every minute and start saying something that you must have felt on the stage. Yeah, I mean, again, as I said, Christians need to hold the middle. It seems that both sides want to sexualize children, and Christians want to encourage humanity to become something better than what it was in the past. This is why Christianity is responsible for so much moral progress of the past 2,000 years, which I've documented on my channel. Meanwhile, Muslims want to take us back to the 7th century and leave us with the ethics of that time. Uh, and secular liberals want to take us back to the sexuality of the Roman Empire, and both of these are just problematic. Uh, why can't we try to encourage humans to be better? We know that when we change the culture, uh, a lot of the uh, plasticity of the brain does not grow in a way to where it becomes hypersexual. Uh, we don't have to be like this. There's a third option. Yeah. Amen. The vast majority of history, people of all religions and cultures had another solution, and that solution is marriage. Marriage is the healthy, wholesome outlet for the natural sexual desire that humans start experiencing at puberty. And pre-industrial religious and cultural traditions hold that marriage should be available at puberty. They don't stipulate an exact age for sex or marriage because, again, puberty is highly variable in terms of when it begins. So all religions and cultures have had this solution of marriage, but what changed? Why is minor marriage now seen as this unspeakable crime? To answer this question, let's look at the history of child marriage in the West. 
According to ancient Jewish norms, a man can marry and have sex with a girl as young as three. This ruling is found in the Talmud and is based on the False. precedent set by the Jewish prophet Isaac, who married Rebekah when she was three and he was 40. As in, in Talmudic literature and later commentators, the, there were some that said she was three. Now, if you read the Talmud, not every passage says Rebekah was three. Okay? Some say she was 14. Uh, so let me pull that up here really quickly. So Talmud, so it's um, Seder Olam Rabbah 1 says she was 14. So some texts say she was three, which is ridiculous. It's completely inconsistent with the description of her in Genesis, uh, as we pointed out numerous times. Uh, but some say she was three. Now they never, the rabbis never say that you can therefore sleep with a three-year-old, okay? So Kiddushin uh, in the Talmud, uh, 41a says it is forbidden for a man to marry off his daughter when she is a minor until she would grow, become an adult and would say it is as I wish. Okay. So Rashi, for example, he says that marriage to a minor is prohibited. Okay. As well. Okay. Uh, what is this other one here? Um, I I'm probably butchering all these names. It's like Messages Nida, M E S E C H E S N I D D A H 13 B is it is taught that those who play with toys, which are uh, prepubescent girls, delay the Messiah, okay? Who are you? Who are those who play with children? Those who betroth themselves to a minor girl who are incapable of bearing children. So, you know, going after children is delaying the coming of the Messiah, according to this these Talmudic texts, as well as Rashi. So, no, they, they did not say you could marry as young as three. They're talking about this story with Isaac, and they're, they're trying to argue that, you know, girls were actually different way back then, but they're not in their current age. You can't do this, that she was some sort of special exception. And they're using it as an example to teach other certain things as well. But, it's but, a very hold on, long but wait, but, debate. But back up. How, how do they get around? How does Daniel or these Talmudic authors get around gen what it says in Genesis? <laughs> Genesis 24, 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, listen to what she did, came out with her jar on her shoulder. I don't know many three-year-olds walking around with a jar to feed camels on their shoulder. It's, it's one of those things they, they just believe like either miraculously or just the times that girls age faster in like the middle bronze age period. Now that's just utter nonsense. Again, a lot of these commenta commentaries are weird. Like there's a lot of stuff in the Talmud that's just weird and should be rejected yeah. outright. But I mean, like, yeah, there's no reason to think Rebecca was actually three. She was a woman. There's plenty of reason to think she could not possibly have been three. If anything we're getting in the Bible is legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Let's, let's, is that all you wanted to say there? Yeah. We can keep going. Okay. From biblical passages like Genesis chapter 30, 23 and Genesis chapter 25, verse 20 in numbers 31, uh, Moses commands his armies to slaughter the enemy, including all adults and male children. However, female virgin children were spared for sex, although some have argued they, they had to be forcefully married. Whether Old or New Testament, there are many discussions of marriage and slavery hey, in the Bible, Don't but stop. there's never... So, I already, I, pre, I knew he was going to bring up Numbers 31. He's very predictable. Uh, you just watch his stuff. And again, the Bible never says they were That's used nice of him for to be sex slaves. It is very nice. Yeah, he's very predictable in this. Uh, the Bible, Numbers 31, never says these girls were used for sex. They were used for sexual slavery. They were used to be married off quickly and used for sex. Later commentaries like Philo and Life of Moses says Israel actually decided to spare the boys as well. 
as I mentioned earlier, the Babylonian Talmud, Kiddushin 78a, says that they were kept kept alive for yourselves in Numbers 31.18, is meant at is not meant for as slave, not for marriage. Uh, basically, they were used as household servants is what he's trying to say. They were used as sort of servant type folk. Uh, they were not used for sex. So later commentators, you can find evidence that they were actually arguing they were not. Now, even if all that is wrong, never says they were used for sex. And again, as I addressed in my opening statement, this is coming from Moses, as commentators like Robert Alter have noted. This was not a command from God. Uh, we know that often the patriarchs and prophets did things that God did not approve of. Uh, but because he was a, a merciful God and he's trying to work through a certain people to eventually bring about the Messiah, he forgives their sins so they can keep growing as a people. God had every right to wipe them out there, but because of the grace for humanity at large and eventually to use Israel to bring about the Messiah, uh, he spared them. Uh, so keep that in mind. But Moses' anger eventually got the best of him. So we need to be clear what the passage says. It never says this command came from God. Careful eyes. Any mention of a minimum age for sex, because apparently this wasn't a concern for the Bible's authors. Take, take Exodus chapter 27, verse 7 through 11, which permits a father to sell his daughter as a slave, but doesn't stipulate a minimum age. So he can sell his daughters as slaves or as sex slaves from infanthood. Interestingly, this is where the Bible... What's interesting here, so, IP, is you do in the cross X, uh, so people ought to watch the full debate because you do go back and forth with them on this, and he does straightforwardly answer you whether he wants to or not. Uh, you say so. You believe that uh, you know you could have you could have a sex slave or something, and he's well, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, quite <laughs> it's hypocrisy. He's trying to attack the Bible for this stuff, but he's the one who actually believes in it. Now. Yeah. For those who want to know about Mosaic Law, I have two videos that Daniel and others should watch called The Misunderstood Mosaic Law and a second video, which is a follow-up called The Imperfect Mosaic Law. And I go into this and I point out the Mosaic Law is not a law. It was never would have been viewed that way in the Bronze Age or in the late Iron or in the early Iron Age. Uh, he's looking at the Mosaic Law through his Islamic lenses where you need to specify these minimum ages. You got to look at the Torah more like you look at Proverbs. This is trying to teach judicial wisdom that would have been operating within the context of the ancient Near East. It was never meant to go beyond that. These are not meant to set minimum ages and certain laws that Israel was bound to. We don't even see Israel using the Torah in this way as evidence. It's a law. Like when David commits the affair with Bathsheba, you know, he's supposed to be given the death sentence, but they don't pull out the Mosaic law. He gets a different punishment because the Torah was sort of guidance on Judah, on justice, and how we're supposed to operate in the Middle East. That's how these ancient Near Eastern law codes, which they weren't really, were meant to operate. This is like the code of Lipit Ishtar, the code of Hammurabi, Middle Assyrian laws. And so I go over this in the um, in my video, The Misunderstood Mosaic Law. So Daniel completely misunderstands understands the cultural context of that. The second video, The Imperfect Mosaic Law, points out God was compromising with Israel in a lot of these things. He, Jesus says so much in Matthew 19. You know, you, you were given a law of divorce because your hearts were hard. Okay. Now God regulates divorce in the Old Testament, even though he didn't want it to happen, but because he was dealing with sinful people, he had to make certain boundaries and rules to regulate their behavior. So it didn't get too far out of hand. Numbers 22, we see that these, these daughters come to Moses and go, can we change the rules of inheritance so that we get an inheritance? So then we see that the Mosaic Torah was structured with input from Israel and it was updated based on their sin. First Samuel 8. Don't get a king, God says. We want a king. Fine. We'll up, we'll change our covenant so you get a king. But I'm warning you, this is a bad idea. But now it's part of the covenant between Israel and God. 
So this idea that this was some sort of perfect rule, ba uh, basis of rules for all humanity in all time is nowhere taught in the Bible. It's supposed to be judicial wisdom for Israel in their cultural context. And Jeremiah 31 even says God is going to one day give a new covenant that is supposed to then last forever. And we see that in the covenant that Christ gave us. Okay, we see the facts that as Jesus even acknowledges in Matthew 19, parts of that covenant, the older one, were given because hearts were hard. So him appealing to this shows he has misunderstood the context of the Torah in multiple ways and how it's supposed to apply to Christian ethics as well. Right on. And the Quran actually differ as the Quran doesn't sanction selling children as slaves. The notion that it's acceptable <laughs> to have sex with children. Whether what is causing you? I mean, to, what, what has tickled you, well, Ati? Just remember my cross-examination section. He was perfectly fine with Muslims attacking a village and taking seven-year-olds back as sex slaves. I mean, but, but oh, but we can't, we don't permit them to be sold to each other. Whoa, you guys, whoa. That's real, <laughs> real outstanding ethics there. Yeah, well, they're the champs in that department. Marriage or slavery was standard during the time of Jesus. For example, the Bible doesn't mention the specific age of Mary, but pre-modern Christians held she was quite young when she was married to Joseph and impregnated by Father God. According to the official Catholic encyclopedia, Joseph was 80 when he married Mary. She was okay, 12 awesome. at the same Okay, something beautiful came so, out of this that I saw you guys discuss on the last broadcast where you covered this. Break it down for us. Yeah, in the Catholic encyclopedia, first of all, they acknowledge that this is a from apocryphal writings, okay? Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia on the, the section on Joseph, so if you go down to the section on marriage, says that none of this can be ver verified. It's late traditions. It comes from a time when it was coming from apocryphal writings. None of this can be verified. Plus, these same traditions he is citing also say Mary was a perpetual virgin. So no one ever had sex with her according to the Catholic encyclopedia. Yeah. So why doesn't he take this in context? It doesn't compare to child marriage because if you're going to put girls in the same position as married, sure, they can be married to older men, but ne you can never have sex with them. Or they're allowed to get pregnant, but they can't have a man help them get pregnant. Exactly. <laughs> only It's only God that can do it. Through only virginal pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. Time being Joseph's wife and impregnated by Father God. Now, some Christians might question the reliability uh, of the Catholic false. encyclopedia. That's false. He doesn't understand Christianity. She, it, again, the Nicene Creed even states it, and it's in it's in Luke. She, it was not Father God. That's Mormonism. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he made a uh, theological error there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but gotcha. just to preempt an objection, the idea, well, you know, what if Mary was 13 or 14? Well, the Bible never says that. But even if she was, God in his omniscience could have picked a girl that would have been fine to bear a child. That doesn't mean we now have the right to mm. start impregnating 13 or 14 year olds because we're not omniscient like God who mm. can select the perfect girl for this. So preempt the possible point. objection there. Good point. But many other sources, including archaeological evidence, prove that the common age for marriage in Judea at the time of Jesus was 13. This is significant because Jesus' views on marriage... It's significant, IP. Don't laugh. It's significant. What, what evidence? He didn't, he didn't say it. And again, I cited Michael Satlow uh, in his book, uh, Jewish Marriage and Antiquity, that says, no, the actual age for uh, Jews was mid-teens to late 20s. And some... You know, typically the, the median is going to be in the late teens. So 17, 18, that kind of thing. Same with the Roman Empire at the same time. Uh, you know, th they were not marrying girls off 12, 13 on average. This was actually happening in late teens. And Philo, Josephus talked about men not even marrying till like after 25 to around the age of 30. 
So marriage was happening late for the men and the girls. Uh, so first century, first century, turn of the century, Palestine, where Mary lived. What would you say? Probably 16 to 18, something like that. Yeah, right around that time. I mean, yeah. in um, what did I say? So based on census returns from the Roman period in Egypt, the median age for marriage was around 17.5 for women. That's in the book. Uh, non uh, that's in um, Joanne, Joanne Marie Robinson's book that I cited in the debates, it's in my opening statement. So you're gonna say that Palestine is probably roughly about the same, and that's also based on data we get from Michael Satlow. Gotcha. ...would reflect those of his era, meaning that he would have endorsed marriage and sex with minors. We cannot find a single recorded statement from Jesus, raising even the slightest objection to the child marriage that was happening all around him. Jesus- Okay, so there's no evidence it was happening all around him. Uh, Jesus didn't condemn boiling cats, as I pointed out. Daniel tried to respond, but that wasn't a wide practice. Where did, you, okay. where did you Just pull never... that one out of? Where did you pull that one out of? Because <laughs> frankly, I wouldn't have personally been bothered if he had if he had promoted the boiling of cats, but I know you would. So where did that come? Did you just come up with that out of your head or did you plan to say that? I don't remember. I, I don't remember where I got it from. I just thought of it, I guess, on the spot maybe, but I may have used it in the past before on people. Uh, but true. Jesus also never condemned the worship of Osiris. Uh, Jesus never condemned, uh, you know, like Roman conquests, uh, Romans um, plundering of people, these kinds of things. Uh, but, you know, so like Jesus is not giving you an exhaustive list of everything that is wrong in his time period. Jesus never condemned abortion. OK, but we know he's that later early Christian fathers did. Well, he's giving you a look. You're supposed to love your fellow man and love, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. That's what it all boils down to. But. We look at the life of Jesus, the principles, the nature of love and charity, and we live our lives from that. Uh, that yeah, that's how I would. Yeah. Well, also, Will Deming and Raymond F. Collins in their book. Um, what is this? Um, so I'm citing the paper by John W. Martin's Do Not Sexually Abuse Children. And he cites these two authors. And he says, Will Deming and Raymond F. Collins suggest that the scandal against the little ones about which Jesus warns his disciples in Mark 9, 42, was the sexual abuse of children. So it very, Jesus may very well have been in his cultural context condemning the sexual abuse of children in, in Mark uh, 9, 42. Now that's not definitive, but it does say, you, you know, do not cause a little one to stumble. We know from current data that sexual abuse does cause them to stumble. So in, implicitly, Jesus is laying down principles to not sexually abuse minors, period. Well, at the very least, I mean, you know, yeah, anyone who would disturb the faith of one of these little ones, let his millstone be hanged about his neck and thrown into the sea. But the, but but broadly speaking, we know that the Bible, the, the Jesus we're given loves children, doesn't want anyone to mess with children. And it's bad news if you do mess with children. So that informs understandings of things like child marriage, I think. Now, perhaps it wouldn't stand on its own if that was all we, we could argue about what's properly loving children. But given everything else, um, it, it just, it, uh, that is enough for me. Jesus wants us to be good to kids, you know? Exactly. All right, we'll go on. No shortage of criticism for the Pharisees and larger society, but for some reason, he doesn't condemn anyone for child marriage. In later periods, some Christians adopted flexible guidelines for marriage that they borrowed from Roman law. Roman law was somewhat unique in setting a minimum marriage age for girls at 12. This was more of a guideline rather than a strict law because there were no legal penalties for marrying earlier. Medieval Christians in the West eventually borrowed the same rule, enshrining it in canon law. Christian women could marry at 12, but in some cases, especially among aristocrats, they married as early as 8 or 9. Those are examples from Jewish and Christian history. So why did things change? 
two factors, so industrialization and... Before it gets to that. So before it gets to the whole conspiracy, um, again, you need to read Kim Phillips, Kim M. Phillips' book, Medieval Maidens, Young Women and Gender in England in 1270 to 1540. Now, she even cites examples outside of England, to be fair. But she notes that in the Middle Ages, there was a lot of people that were marrying girls young, but they were including clauses like you cannot consummate the marriage until 16 or 18. At one point, she's talking about a king of, of Aragorn in modern day Spain saying that didn't want his daughter to consummate the marriage until after 18. So this was actually happening. They, they recognized that girls needed to wait a certain number of years to, for their bodies develop before they were expected to have children, probably because they saw girls having children too young and dying frequently. So they learned from experience. Yeah. And, and you can imagine a mama watching her daughter go through that and how her, how she would feel about a situation like that. Uh, I mean, I know there were cultural differences and things like that, but you have to like people did recognize this is wrong. Some people did. And so you can imagine people in every society would recognize this is wrong and be bothered about it. And I can just imagine some mothers watching their daughters go through this horrible situation because of this evil and and being very vocal about it. Yeah. Kim Phillips says it would be a mistake to see marriage below or around the age of puberty as the norm, even for young noble women. She says that on page 36. Praise the Lord. Let's talk about industrialization first. In pre-industrial societies, virtually everyone had to be involved with food production for sheer survival. You couldn't have freeloaders consuming calories, but not helping produce calories. This meant that by necessity, all children worked in food production. This is why you don't see any kind of extended schooling for children historically. If kids are in school, they can't work to produce food. But starting in the 18th century, industrialization brought new technologies like tractors and mechanized irrigation. This meant a small part of the population could work as farmers and produce enough food for everyone. This led to the majority of the population moving from food production to manufacturing and service jobs. This caused a major social shift because working on the farm requires no education, but jobs associated with industrialization require more education. To deal with these socioeconomic changes, Western governments gradually introduced mandatory schooling. This went hand in hand with mandatory increases in the age of consent and marriage. This was especially necessary for girls because marriage produces children, and when people have children, they have no time for school. To prevent this, Western governments established minimum ages of consent. In 1791, the French Napoleonic Code established an age of consent of 11. By 2007, the French age of consent was 15. Same thing in Australia, Canada, and Western Europe. In the awesome. US, as late as 18... I like how his argument, it's, he's, I'm not sure if this is actual, but he seems to be implying that Oh, these these evil Western societies wanted to delay marriage so that women could get an education. Oh, the horror! <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it does sound like he's saying that prior to this, look, everybody, we had kids because somebody's got to get out here and start working. And once you have people going to school and schools have to function and all of that sort of thing, you get these um, uh, ages of consent. Okay, well, I don't know what's true and false about that. Maybe you're going to tell me, but still, I know that. However, it resulted that we had ages of consent. We ought to have ages of consent because obviously we ought to have ages of consent. That's not the, that's not mm. all of our argument, but it kind of goes back to that. Um, I just have to make sure people heard what you said sort of thing. Well, I gave some sources, Michael Flynn notes in the European demographic system from 1500 to 1820, that marriage tended to fall within a narrow range in Europe between 25 and 26. According to him, Brent Shaw in the age of Roman girls at marriage notes that in Tuscany in the 14th and 15th century, women married on average between 16 and 21 in Florence, the range was 15 to 19. 
Rudolf Bell notes in Fate and Honor, Family and Village, that throughout Italian communities in the 19th century, women married as early women married early in, in the mid women were marrying roughly in the mid in their mid 20s. Peter Laslett says in England and the rest of Northwest Europe in the 1600s, the average age women married was 22. Uh, in the paper, The Origins of European Marriage Pattern in the Early Modern Period and Perspectives of Polish History, girls were marrying on average around 20 in Poland. So, no, this there, there's a lot of evidence in the medieval period and in the Roman period, which I cited in my opening statement, that girls were not marrying super young. Right on. I think that should shock people, some of those numbers. I mean, because we typically just take it for granted that until the modern world, people did get married all the time and everywhere at like 12, 13, 14, something like that. But that doesn't sound like it from the numbers you gave. Well, no, I mean, if you're having something to... Bart Ehrman noted this. This is this is a big damning effect on their argument that people should have... Be, that men should get to be polygamous. Bart Ehrman notes in his... He was doing giving a lecture on the gospel of Judas and someone asked him about Jesus being married. And he said, look, in the ancient world, most there was always more men than women because so many women died in childbirth. There wasn't enough to go around. So that right there is an, is an argument against polygamy because there's not enough women to go around for all the men to at least have one at that point. Why would you be giving more women to men? But also he points out there was just high infant mortality rates, high rates of women dying in childbirth. Well, if they were marrying typically in their mid late teens era and their pelvic floors have not fully developed, of course, you're going to have higher death rates of infants. We see in the from modern science and research that it's better to wait until your twenties before you have a children, before you have a child. Uh, so yeah, we should, you know, this, this, this is evidence against this idea. This was such a great practice in the past. Yeah. 80, many states had ages of consent from 10 to 12. In Delaware, it was seven. By 1920, it ranged from 14 to 18. But many may be surprised to hear that today, 25 states don't even have a minimum age of marriage. Between 2000 and 2018, there were 300,000 documented minor marriages in the US with some brides as young as 10. So industrialization- evil. We condemn it. It's evil. Towards child marriage, feminism did as well. Feminism aims to empower women so that they have careers and status equal to men. This means banning early marriage for girls and encouraging them to stay in school for as long as possible. The fear is that girls may lose out on a career because they got married early and had children. Feminists consider such women victims who have failed in life because they haven't achieved independence and career status equal to men. The feminist thinking was impossible in the pre-industrial era because the overwhelming majority of the populace, both males and females, had nothing resembling a career. Almost everyone did low-skill farm labor with no education. For most of history, there was nothing like, a, like career advancement, so it would have been made no sense to insist that girls delay marriage to pursue career advancement. We can track the increasing Western hostility towards child marriage over time. One of the first examples is the famous 1748 work, The Spirit of Laws by French liberal thinker Montesquieu. Montesquieu refused, refers to child marriage as a type of domestic slavery. Montesquieu associates such marriage with hot countries in the South. This includes Muslim countries which had child marriage. So here in the mid 18th century, Montesquieu offers one of the first Western criticisms of child marriage in Muslim countries. Because of this growing liberal well, hostility, Western... Okay, no, we do see, again, as I noted, medical writers prior to Montesquieu criticizing marrying too young. Giles of Rome, Albertus Magnus, Uranus of Cephasus, excuse me, Ephesus, saying that, look, when you marry too young and you expect these girls to have children, complications result. And they recommended delaying this, Giles of Rome, for example, delaying it until the age of 18. 
Okay. So no, there was criticism and Daniel gets mad later in the debate because he's like, where did they say that child marriage is wrong? Or they have to say it in these exact words. And I was like, they're basically saying this is harmful. They're saying it is harmful. So that's enough for it to be criticized and point to examples where people were saying marriage should be late to delay until later. You know, I, I don't think anyone's made it this far in the video without knowing this, but, um, it, this is an important issue within Islam, but it has to do with how they understand their greatest prophet, Muhammad, and his bride, Aisha, who, if I understand this correctly, married her at six years old, but waited to consummate until she was nine years old. Is that correct, IP? According to the Hadiths in the Sunni tradition, yes. Okay. All right. So what are the chances, though, IP, that like, it, it, like are these Muslim denominations and groups that... that branch out. How common is this view that he holds among Muslims broadly? Do you know the answer to that question? Um, there's a minor marriage in Islam. I forget the name of the book I read was reading recently. Uh, but you could minor be a marriage Muslim. in early Islamic law. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just, we'll just remember that resource. People can check that out. All right. Yeah. Let's keep trucking. Countries banned child marriage in the colonies they occupied, like India and North Africa. By the early 19th Good. century, Western Christians magically discovered that their religion actually prohibits child marriage, despite 18 centuries of Christians engaging in it. With this new discovery, Christian missionaries traveled to these colonies and attacked the indigenous religions for allowing child marriage. And in Good. Foreign cases, British Good. India, with a population Good. that was Let's 75. Talk. Let's talk about that because uh okay first of all tom holland notes christianity was like a depth charge it took a while for people to figure out what it was teaching uh to figure out what the the ideas and the principles were it took a while for christianity to start changing humanity so yeah we should expect time for things to actually develop and to figure out what the bible's teaching and again i would think the bible actually does outlaw uh or does speak against marrying and sleeping with a girl who's too young and before puberty now, this is where we can talk about Ezekiel 16, because if you go to Ezekiel 16, I didn't have a lot of time to go through this in my debate, but Ezekiel 16 is God is comparing Jerusalem to his wife. And it says, I made, so this is, I believe the ESV translation. It said, I made you flourish like a plant of the field and you grew up you, and you became tall and arrived at full dormant. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown and you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you be, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Okay. Now that word formed that is used in verse seven is also is used where, in places like. Is this where you well, wanted me to put this up here on the screen? Yeah, we can put that up there. I'm going to just okay, finish my thought here, but Go ahead, yeah. that word formed is used in Ezekiel 40, 43 in Ezekiel seven fourteen to refer to fully completed processes. So Ezekiel 40 talks about hooks that have been installed. Ezekiel seven talks about being prepared for battle. So you were, it, the connotations is, is that when it's being used in this context, it means that something is completed. So when it says your breasts were formed, the implication in Hebrew is that the breasts had fully formed. And as we know from works like midwifery and women's health, nurse practitioner certification review on page 38, it says, uh, for example, uh, progresses to, to shape, follow, progresses to shape, follower by full development, great round uh, counter around the age of 17. So they basically say that breast budding begins around nine and then it's begin and then the, the full development of the breast happens at 17. So if that is true, 
the implication in Ezekiel 16, 78 is that God is talking about a process that happened after the breasts were formed. Now, and this is backed up by scholars. So Mark Rooker in Holman Old Testament commentary on Ezekiel says, after she had matured beyond puberty, God spread the corner of his garment over her nakedness. Robert Alter says in his translation and commentary, the infant girl has passed puberty. Ralph H. Alexander says in Ezekiel, his, in his commentary on Ezekiel, the, uh, uh, he says, under the gracious care, Jerusalem grew to full maturity. Okay. David Gundell says, and before you were, before you get engaged, he says, Ezekiel 16, 78, suggests that a marriageable age came somewhere after puberty. Peter J. Gentry says in God's kingdom through God's covenant says much later after puberty, God passes by a second time and sees a young woman ready for adornment in marriage. Andrew Mind says in Ezekiel, yeah. Andrew Mind says in Ezekiel in the Ethics of Exile says others have suggested that it is menstrual blood since the girl has passed puberty. T.M. Lemus says in Violence and Persecuted in Ancient Israel, he says that girls were married at or after puberty is the impression one gets from Ezekiel 16, where the where God only marries Jerusalem after her breasts have formed. Her pubic ha hair has grown and she arrives at the age of love. The many references to the bride's breast in the Song of Solomon too seem to convey a girl or woman who is post-pubescent, okay? You can also see, for example, Life Application Study Bible, okay? Which talks about um, a young baby growing to mature womanhood, okay? The New Interpretation Study Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, talks about, again, her, her coming to post-pubescent reality. So again, the implication in this passage is that when it talks about her breast being fully formed and her hair fully grown, she's completed puberty. But then God passes by her again at a later, later. time. Yeah. Later. So lovemaking is only available at a period after puberty is completed, according to God's own standard. So just absolutely wrong. Now, there are some commentaries that will say that Noah Ezekiel is talking about when a girl enters puberty. Fair enough. However, you can't get around verse 8, because verse 8 is very clear that God passes by her at a later time when she's ready for lovemaking. So again, God never says lovemaking can happen the moment she hits puberty. It's a period after puberty, which is why verse 8 is very important. you got to read it in context. Awesome. So, yeah, and that's what Daniel's trying to argue in that little thing. First of all, if you want to put that back on the screen. So yeah, notice how he's quoting a dynamic equivalent translation, the, the NIV. We know in Christian circles, you know, that study a lot of theology and apologetics. The NIV is sort of like, okay, probably shouldn't use that one. It gets a lot of things wrong in its translation. It's the middle, and, it's the middle between like a more word-for-word uh, -word literal <laughs> translation and a paraphrase like the message. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's accusing me of like taking this verse out of context when I said that the, the breasts had fully formed. But no, but that is, or I said the breasts are fully developed. He said that Christian added his own words, fully developed when he's reading the verse in the debate, clear deception. Nowhere is that qualifier in any of the major translations. Okay. It's about what the Hebrew word implies. Okay. Once again, if you look at the way that word is used throughout Ezekiel, it refers to processes that are complete. The hooks have been fully installed in the temple. The battle, the army was fully prepared. In Jonah, for example, even, I found this interesting. It refers to, remember when uh, God has that tree come over Jonah? Do you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Yeah, of course. At the end. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, it refers to the fully grown tree over Jonah. God formed this tree. So, no, it seems to be a word that refers to something that has been actually been completed. And that's how it's being used in the context. You got to look at how Ezekiel is using the word in other places to get a better understanding. The mm -hmm. implication is, is that, again, 
the breast had fully formed. So this is past 17 by that logic, or roughly around that time period. And then again, still another period when God passes by her again at a later point, and then she is ready for lovemaking. So that yeah. fits with what Michael Satlow is saying in his book, which I quoted, that again, age of 20 is right for lovemaking. That's when mm-hmm. a good age is. So no, he is he's the one who's taking things out of context. And I got a lot of scholarly support on my side on this. So I didn't get time to get to that in the debate, but I'll- I'm glad you pulled it up here, especially- it looks like he posted this after the debate, right? He's referring to your debate when he says in my recent debate. So good that you got a chance to to cover that. Uh, do we need to go back to the videos? There are more in his opening we can cover. We can check it out. I don't remember what, we, what he said, but let's just finish it out. This was raised to 12 in 1891. This is how liberal stigmas about child marriage were adopted by Christianity in the late 18th century and then globalized by the mid to late 19th century. This brings us to pedophilia. Pedophilia is not an ancient concept. The first documented use of the term is 1906. Pedophilia initially means a psychiatric disorder in which an adult fantasizes about or engages in sexual acts. Okay, we got force. You can pause it again. Again, John W. Martin's his chapter in the book, Children in Late Ancient Christianity. His chapter, Do Not Sexually Abuse Children, the Language of Early Christian Sexual Ethics. He says, the new verb Christians created was pedophthoriae. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a Greek word. I'm probably getting it wrong. Whose constructions and meaning will come into focus of the discussion of the article in due course, but about what about which one may say already at this point that it describes sexual practice between children and adults as practices which are destructive and corrupting. So he's basically pointing out early Christians were describing this, this interaction with children and describing it as harmful and needs to be eradicated. So again, no, there's research that combats that. Amen. With a prepubescent child, gradually pedophilia came to mean any adult who has sexual interest in a person below 18, the age of consent. And of course, the age of consent is artificially set to match mandatory schooling ages. So in essence, the pedophile is someone who has graduated, who is sexually attracted to someone who hasn't graduated from whatever amount of schooling the state has mandated. Now, many will claim that child marriage causes psychological harm. It's interesting that pre-modern people understood trauma and the emotional damage that can come from certain sexual behaviors like sodomy and prostitution, but there's no evidence that anyone in pre-modernity viewed adult minor relations as traumatic. Even False. I mean, again, the paper I cited, just absolutely false. He just says things that are just blatantly false. Well, I heard David Woods was David Wood talking about him in your thing when he said every time I what like he's, he gives you so much stuff that he assumes you're not going to look up any of it. But the thing times that he has looked it up, it hasn't been saying what Daniel says that it was saying. Is that right? Oh, or is yeah. that somebody? Else? Well, that, that's his. That's his. Every time he cites Bruce Ryan. Again, it's the weirdest unholy alliance ever because Bruce Ryan is basically trying to argue for like man boy association that it's OK mm. for men to, have, you know, to it, it doesn't cause harm. No, no, he's not saying it, it's good or moral. I'll give him that. He says it's a naturalistic fallacy to do that. So I'll give Ryan credit where credit is due. But he is saying, trying to argue it's not harmful to boys that are like 12, 13, or 11. Um, and again, Anna Sattler in her book, Predators, really goes after Ryan hard and points out that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Research cast doubt on the existence of psychological trauma from adult minor sexual relations. Psychologists Bruce Ryan, Philip Tromovich, and Robert Bosserman have published meta-studies critically analyzing this. What they discovered is that while there can be problems in some cases, there's no inherent harm with adult minor relationships. The only harm comes from it being socially taboo in current society rather than anything objective or inherent. These psychologists received backlash, as you can imagine, and we can- this is hard to hear, man. This is hard to listen to. Okay, so this 
what, okay, so the thing about, again, Anna Sattler's book, if you start reading on page 63, her book, Predator, she really goes and breaks down. She said, I love this quote she has. She says, at the end of several months of research, however, I was convinced of one thing. Child sexual abuse was like getting bit by a rattlesnake. Some kids recover completely and some didn't, but it wasn't good for anyone. Okay. Mm. It, but if scholars familiar with the literature were surprised by the study, others were outraged, referring to Bruce Ryan's uh, paper or meta-analysis. So she points out most experts, scholars were actually outraged by this because it was just wrong on so many ways. The sample sizes were weird. They basically did, they just relied on college sample sizes and self-reported measures on that. Uh, and again, even in their own meta-analysis, it goes against, it works against Daniel because the meta-analysis actually shows that it was, that the boys did not report harm, but the girls did. The girls reported, reported traumatic experience from child sexual abuse. Uh, far more often than the boys did. And wow. so, so again, the, 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 why is Daniels trying to side with a guy that's trying to argue doesn't harm boys? Okay. This is the weirdest unholy alliance he could have ever made. <laughs> yeah. Dive deeper into the studies later, but the point is the claim that minor marriage is bad because it objectively causes psychological harm is unproven. So it's bizarre that anyone okay. should depict new it's such a it's it's unproven it causes psychological harm did you did he he just he forgot about all the uh the narrative reviews and studies i cited in my opening statement which shows it's harmful it causes girls to become more suicidal one study i cited was done in ethiopia and they noted they, they compared girls that were married in their teens versus girls that were not married in their teens the girls that were married had more suicidal thoughts and attempts a lot of the narrative reviews I cited point out there's a lot of research that demonstrates increased psychiatric problems, anxiety, depression, feeling isolated, loss of identity, all of these issues. And mm. this is just nonsense. And he, the funny, the ironic part, when he's citing Bruce Ryan as a, to argue for this, Bruce Ryan never talks about child marriage. He never ever advocates for it or says there, it doesn't cause any psychological harm. So his sources, he, he doesn't even have a source. Bruce Ryan never says this kind of stuff. But 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 he is the guy that's with the man boy or is in favor of. I don't know if he's in favor, but he has spoken at conferences that promote uh, man boy pedophilia. Gotcha. He has written for journals that, that defend it. Um, and I think he just says it's not harmful. But again, he is an outlier. Modern norms on pedophilia as obvious or eternal invalidity. Such norms were literally inconceivable in the pre-modern period for the many reasons I've mentioned. All this is why attitudes for child marriage have shifted historically. The burden is on my opponent to give a better explanation for why there was such a... <laughs> I love that smile on your face just then. Let me go back 30 seconds. I, th this is just fantastic right here. I love that smile, IP. It's like <laughs> he's it's the guy saying, saying, hey, we should allow children to get married, but you have the burden of proof. And and this is the and we get one of the few on stage IP big smiles. Because I already met the burden. I gave all the data that he is obviously not even aware existed. I like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I could not imagine being in his position and going second after my opening statement and keeping that statement in, I would have skipped it over. Mm -hmm. uh, like I would have modified it saying like, well, yeah, we'll discuss my out. opponent's studies. Yeah. Strike yeah. that. No, he just right up there. Nope. Nope. You gotta, you not, there's no evidence. Like it's just, it just doesn't look good to the audience. Cause they're already thinking, well, he gave a bunch of studies. Why didn't, why is he saying he's got to meet a burden? He already has. It's, this just isn't a good look. 
why there was such a radical change in attitude starting about 300 years ago. If child marriage is this objective and universal evil, please explain why 99% of humanity throughout history was blissfully ignorant of this. This is even more of a burden for my opponent to explain because he's a Christian who believes in revelation. Why doesn't the Bible condemn child uh -oh. marriage? The Bible condemns homosexuality, which hasn't been as commonplace historically as child marriage. Was the author of the Bible simply ignorant? Or is it more likely that the author of the Bible is fine with child marriage? That's certainly what countless Christians throughout history believed and practiced. Now I want to take things one step further. Not only do I believe... Wow, I mean, okay, it was all fun games when we were talking about Islam, but now he's talking about biblical, like, Christian stuff. Uh, I mean, again, uh, people have pointed out the Bible never condemns abortion directly. No, that's true. It never explicitly condemns it. We can still derive the idea it's wrong from the principles of the Bible. The Bi Christianity is not like Islam, where everything needs to be spelled out and laid out in detail. Christianity lays down principles, virtue ethics, that, teach, that guides our behavior so that we can deal with situations and actually experience moral progress. Moral progress is a good thing. Uh, this, is, this is what is in the Bible. God, uh, the human degrades itself so much to the point where God gives them the Mosaic Law to try to help get them out of it. Then he sends prophets to try to add some more context. Then we get the New Covenant. This is moral progress. We see the building up to the New Covenant. It's moral progress. And we're expected to build on that. So he's made this mistake and he's assumed that the biblical ethics is like Islamic ethics. It's not. It's just absolutely wrong. We don't need to have every do and don't specified. But his other argument that it's been minor ch or child marriages in practice so much, the same can apply, what, as Bruce Ryan puts out in his paper, Hebophilia is a Mental Disorder. He's got four pages of research going that man-boy attraction, homosexual man-boy attraction, was pervasive from cultures around the world, in Europe, North Africa, Islamic societies, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, Japan, Tibet, Malaysia, Australia, the Americas. And what's funny is Bruce Ryan is constantly, when he's citing these guys, he's constantly pointing out the tradition, this, this man-boy attraction thing. That tradition faded out the moment Westerners showed up and wanted to get rid of it. Uh, so constantly he's pointing out that what got rid of this horrible thing that Daniel hates and thinks is disgusting, Western values. Uh, his own study is saying this, you know. So, you know, this, it, it, you know, this is a reductio ad absurdum. If, child, if, if, if the fact that child marriage is so pervasive around the world is evidence that it's an okay thing, then so is man-boy attraction because it's so pervasive mm -hmm. around cultures around the world. And we can use Daniel's own source to show that. Mm. Minor marriage was acceptable in the past. I also believe that it's an institution that society abandons at its own peril. The fact of the matter is, children <laughs> hit puberty in the age. We're, we're damned we're if we don't accept child children our, We're abandoning abusing children at our own peril. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make a meme now. I just thought of one. When puberty hits, they biologically experience strong sexual desires and they'll express this one way or another. Either they'll express it within the safe, stable bonds of marriage, or they'll express it through masturbation, hooking up, sexting, porn use, or worse. The, those are the only two options. Any country that denigrates marriage for adults will inevitably encourage sexual liberation and promiscuity for adults. Likewise, any country that denigrates marriage for minors will inevitably encourage sexual liberation and promiscuity for minors or children. The unprecedented degeneracy we see in society today is a direct consequence of preventing minors marriage for minors. 
Christians of all people need to wake up and see what's right in front of them. And ultimately, this is so, why we all need to appreciate. So again, he is ignoring the fact of all the harmful effects that come from child marriage. So it's it, it, so he's like, if you don't if you don't accept child marriage, you know, look at all the harm that's going to happen. You're going to have people watching porn and masturbating and having sex. Okay, but again, child marriage correlates with an increased amount of STDs, cervical cancer. Okay, so we don't see that it's reducing fornication. Okay, it increased with it has an increase in intimate partner violence. Numerous studies have found that when you have child marriage uh, and you and it mixes in with human nature, you have an increase in domestic violence. Okay, so so if we take his route. Uh, it's not going to solve the issues of increased fornication, apparently, and it's not going to solve the rampant STD problem, but it's also going to give us more psychiatric disorders for young girls, more suicide among young girls, more girls being victims of domestic abuse, okay, more children dying in childbirth, more girls dying in childbirth. I mean, like, he is constantly wanting to replace the liberal secular dystopia with Handmaid's Tale Islam style. He just wants well, to replace one dystopia for another. Absolutely. And where where's the guarantee that if a particular man or woman has this child, I'm still not 100% sure what this is supposed to look like, but you you marry you marry somebody to this young woman, a young child that's not a, even a young woman. And uh, who's to say that that's going to solve for either one of them the porn problem? Or you said fornication. If we roll porn and stuff like that and masturbation and all that into fornication, how, how, who's to say that'll solve that problem? Uh, you know, you're pointing there's, out, there's, you still get STDs. These people are not looking at porn too. I mean, I don't know why this is supposed to solve it. Well, there's no evidence it would. There, there's he, there is no evidence whatsoever that child marriage will solve any, and I mean any of the problems he thinks it will. He's just sort of asserting this ad hoc or without any sort of evidence. And so it's, and it's just ridiculous. You know, this is, I was going to say, and it creates, it doesn't just not solve problems. It creates a slew of problems you mentioned. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I quoted uh, this one paper that I cited in the debate. Um, she says, a common belief is that child marriage protect girls from promiscuity and therefore disease. The reality is quite different. Married girls are more likely than unmarried girls to, to become infected with STDs, in particular HIV, human papillona, and human papillonavirus. And that paper is health consequences of child marriage in Africa. So he's just absolutely wrong that somehow we are going to solve child marriage by uh, or we're going to solve stds and promiscuity with child marriage you can also see child marriage in india factors and problems that's a good paper as well as reproductive and sexual health consequences of child marriage a review of the literature so a lot of research actually indicates that child marriage isn't going to solve these problems so why is he advocating for it it doesn't make any sense well, but these are all Western. I mean, research papers in general uh, focusing on this. Who's gonna Who's gonna write an article defending child marriage? IP. I mean, these are all gonna be. Of course, Westerners are gonna have a bent toward being biased against child marriage. Well, I mean, if if that's the case, okay. I thought the conspiracy, you know, like the QAnon conspiracy, is that there's this pedophile ring that controls the country, and they want to like slowly introduce maps and you know, minor attractive persons. Uh, so like if people in government right now on the extreme left are actually pushing for maps for lowering the age of consent, wouldn't they be okay with child marriage and studies actually indicating that it is okay? I mean, I guess, I guess that's true. 
So it doesn't fit the whole narrative. It doesn't fit the conspiracy. And for example, there's actually a study called Child Marriage and Associated Outcomes in North Ghana, a cross-sectional study by Richard Dick Root and other, and other researchers. And they know child marriages has a lot of um, problems associated with it, right? a lot. Um, but they know that, you know, for example, um, didn't correlate with like a lack of self-esteem. So they found like they, they know they're like an outlier here. Like, you know, sometimes we didn't get the same results of what others have found. But, you know, typically you still do find problems. Uh, so well, this is what I didn't understand about what in the debate he he seemed to argue. Well, see, you've got conflicting data here. But it sounded to me like what you're saying. And tell me if I'm right. You weren't saying, oh, we have this huge conflict with the data. You're saying, no, overwhelmingly, the data says X. And occasionally there'll be some little outlier fact or something that, that would be hospitable to uh, Daniel's case. Yeah, right? I mean, I can find studies that show that, uh, you know, religiosity correlates with increased aggression. I can find two, but I can find hundreds that show it correlates with decreased aggression. Right. But this study I mentioned, the one done in Ghana, they say conversely, child marriage was associated with lower levels of reported stress among, among women that were in their 20s. So that mm -hmm. when these women in their 20s were married as children, they were reporting, self-reporting lower levels of stress. And then they note in the study, we're an outlier. Like most studies actually find higher levels of stress. But occasionally you do find this kind of stuff. But sure. he, so he's trying to say there's conflicting data. No, there's outliers. The overwhelming majority of data shows child marriages correlate with increased anxiety, depression, and stress, suicidal right. thoughts, attempts, psychiatric disorders. Occasionally you'll find an outlier. There's some big Western conspiracy. Okay, there, would, there shouldn't be any outliers. Right, that's right. Islam and the example of the Prophet Muhammad in his marriage to Aisha, the mother of the believers, he has provided a timeless example of this institution, which is so desperately necessary for all society. What's that? What's that look on your face? Disgusting. How is Muhammad setting a timeless example with sleeping with a nine year old? Like right. this is this is just horrible. And like you got to ignore it. This just shows you where his priorities are. Let's we'll ignore all the medical research, all the harm this is causing to girls around the world in Islamic societies. But I don't know, Muhammad knew what he was talking about. He knows far more than all the medical experts today, all the studies that have shown harm, all the girls that are reporting harm in these studies, all the researchers that are finding harm causing these girls with their psychiatric evaluations. All of that is wrong because some guy in the seventh century couldn't keep it in his pants when he was around nine-year-old. Right. And, and well, this is kind of important because if you take this sort of a view of Muhammad, you have to understand that in Islam, Muhammad is a prophet of God and needs to be a man of basically impeccable integrity. And so when we see stuff like this, uh, we go, wait a minute, something doesn't quite wash. And you get someone like Daniel trying to defend the morality of this sort of thing. It, it would make so much more sense if they just did what we do. Yeah, Abraham did some things that were wrong, but God still used them. Moses did some things that were wrong, but God still used them. We Christians are luckily in a good position because of Romans 3.23. Uh, we can say, look, everyone before Jesus was sinful in one way or another. So we don't have to praise all their actions. Why do you have to praise all the actions of Muhammad? It's ridiculous. And because we picked the God man who happened to be a good king and literally was a man of impeccable integrity. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk real quick about a couple of things here that, that I know you got to go pretty soon, but, um, no, I got a little bit more time. Yeah. Well, okay. There's a couple of things that maybe I need clarity on them, but I think were really important. He kept arguing that, look, by the way you're looking at things, if it, if it's, if you think it should be a crime, let's say, I, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing exactly, but this was something in there that basically is wrong for someone who is 18, 19, 20 or beyond 
to sleep with or have sexual contact with someone under 18, well, then uh, if, you, if that's what you're going to say, then, then you would have to also say that two 10-year-olds having sexual contact should also be considered criminal or something. And he even suggested, well, at least they should have to go to juvie or something. And your point, no, that's not the point. And what I was screaming at my phone was, and you guys finally did talk about it, I think, was, look, the difference is neither of the 10-year-olds can give sexual consent. So if something happens between two 10-year-olds, that's unfortunate. That's It's not okay. But it's not like someone who can give consent than sleeping with someone who can't give consent. So we have an adult abusing a minor. I, I don't understand why you can't see the incredible difference with that and also the difference between um, okay, a, a child could have a child bride could have some medical problems and could die from this. You can also have medical problems with someone who's over 40 having children. And I'm thinking, okay, but again, the person who's over 40 is able to give consent. Their prefrontal cortex or whatever is fully formed. They know what's going on and they're able to give consent. So if they want to go ahead and try to have children now, if it turned out to be the case that yeah, actually, we want to consider, you know, women ought to consider, like you brought up multiple times, with their doctor. Okay, that could be a conversation they could have. But that is a completely different subject from someone who can't even give consent to the sexual act. Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And again, a woman over 40 can go on contraception. She can prevent herself from having children. Uh, she's a fully consenting adult who's got a brain who's fully matured. Her pelvic, help, her pelvic floor is fully developed, unlike a girl that's 15. This is not a valid comparison because they have different bodies. And again, I fully admitted in the debate, if a woman is over 40 and her doctor says, you can't have any more children, then she probably shouldn't. I mean, I don't, there's nothing inconsistent going on here. Um, I'd also like to point out that Dan, someone actually put a comment here. I love this comment. So someone commented under my issue with the debate. I'll give a shout out. His name is The Astronomer. Uh, Daniel was ranting about how there's been no studies done on women over 40 and the dangers of that. Um, so the astronomer says no studies on health issues of women over 40 having children. Is Daniel serious? Here are a few recent ones. And he cites pregnancy outcomes in women age 40 years or older, a retro retrospective study by Wang et al. Pregnancy outcomes of women age 40 and over in, a, uh, in hospitals in Nigeria, published in 2020. Maternal and prenatal outcomes in women age 40 and older, a retrospective cohort study published in 2021. Maternal and fetal outcomes of women age 40 years and above who underwent assisted reproductive technology treatment uh, published in 2021. And he gives a bunch of other ones. Uh, I don't think I need to read them all out there, but this is just absolutely false that there, this has not been studied as well. That just wasn't the subject of the debate. So right. yeah, it, it, he's absolutely wrong on that. And yeah, as you said, with the 10 year olds, they can't consent. We're not going to punish them like they're adults and throw them in juvie with 17 year olds who've murdered people. Like, like we don't do this with crazy people, people that are actually like clinically insane. We don't, we, we understand they did things they can't control. So we don't treat them like a consenting adults who know what they're doing or should know better. We're not gonna do the same with 10 year olds. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, this was an awesome debate IP. And I, I, I'm sitting here watching this and in this office yesterday thinking, Oh my gosh, some of these things are the most shocking things. I've been listening to debates for years and listen to hundreds just like you have. And I don't know that I've ever heard anything more shocking. I may have heard other things as shocking. I've never heard anything more shocking than uh, what I heard in this debate, as particularly the clip we played at the top where, um, or, or will be attached at the top, where um, he basically says, yes, if, if they have this 
what do you call this form of puberty that comes on a precocious puberty where they begin to exhibit things like pubic hair and, and uh, breast and, and things like that are starting to come in. Uh, then even at, even at four or five years old, there was an admission that yes, and I'm just sitting here thinking, folks, this is evil. When people want to sexualize our children, it's evil. I think about my uh, my uh, children's pastor when I was a kid growing up. And then when I pastored, he became the children's pastor at our church. He only died a few years ago, Brother Alvin. He always wore an Alvin and the Chipmunks thing. One of the most loving, sweet man, men and his wife. Just most wonderful people you'd ever meet. And when we were putting together the children's room, you know, where children's church would happen, where we were at, he he just kept referring to these sweet little children of God, sweet little children of God. And I love that attitude of looking at these little image bearers who are adorable that God loves and who God's going to use in incredible ways. And then on the other hand, we have someone like this saying, no, actually, we should be able to marry kids that would be in that children's department and have sex with them. I, I can't imagine anything more objectionable, more deplorable. Um, but I appreciate you debating him for us, for Christendom. And I appreciate you coming on here to talk about it, Michael. What else is there about this debate that maybe you haven't gotten a chance to say? And you're like, I need, I need to remember to say this. Is there anything like that? Well, at one point he's like, you know, you were saying Moses did something immoral. So why don't you condemn Moses? Like, and so he, again, these either or situations, you're either entirely on Moses' side or you're entirely against him. Daniel has been running around supporting and promoting Andrew Tate for some stupid reason. So he's been promoting the Tater, but he also condemns Tate's use in pornography in the cam business. So why, so why is he allowed to promote Tate, but still condemn some of his actions? But I'm not allowed to say, yeah, Moses did some things wrong, but I don't think I need to entirely condemn him. Like what the, the double standard with Daniel is beyond belief. If you, if you disagree with Moses, you have to entirely condemn him, but I'm not gonna do the same with Andrew Tate. So it's double standard through and through, but most of what he said have been thoroughly addressed. I expect he'll do a, a debate review where he tries to do some damage control, claim I was taking things out of context, promote this ridiculous conspiracy that the West is just trying to prevent Muslims from raping children. Uh, oh, it's oh, it's horrible because you know they know it's really good, but they want to trudge up some studies to pretend it's not. It's yeah, it's. It, I just can you imagine the mentality they don't want us to have sex with children and so they're publishing these fake studies to prevent it we're oppressed right right oppressed because you want it to at least in principle be okay to marry children and have sex with them yeah mm. am i missing something or is it as crazy as it sounds it's as crazy as it sounds, and it needs to be exposed so the rest of the world is ready for this nonsense and we can stop Amen. it. Amen, brother. All right. Well, listen, folks, this has been fantastic. Check out IP's link in the description. If you haven't, if you have been living under a rock, you may need to know who he is. And so there is his link. If you like the sort of stuff he does, give him a sub. And uh, listen, Michael, it's always a pleasure having you on. I'm proud to call you a friend. And thank you again for what you've done for the kingdom in this debate. It was important. It wasn't just us in you know enjoying our, our geek apologist side or whatever this is actual important work among the most important work that's being done um especially in terms of defense of the kingdom thank you so much for that and we'll see the rest of you next time on trinity radio <laughs>